0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Hey everybody, it's Steph. Welcome to Woods and Waters Project. This is episode number 25. It's almost been a year since... I started Woods and Waters Project, and I can't believe how fast it's gone. I know everybody says that, but it's true, and I have done a lot of reflecting, as I'm sure we all have. In 2020, just being a crazy year, I I think it's created a lot of slowing down and thinking about what's actually important to us and... At least that it has been that for me and I, I hope it I hope it's been been that way for you as well. But a lot of what I think about is where I want this podcast to go, what adventures are ahead, what awesome people I'm gonna meet and talk to and introduce to you, and what type of outdoorsman I really wanna be. This past weekend I went on little road trip up to Minnesota for an all-women's grouse and woodcock hunt with this group called Her Wilderness. I didn't know one single person. I paid 50 bucks to go stay in a cabin with 19 other women that, again, I didn't know from anything to have a guided grouse hunt. We don't have grouse really in Iowa. Uh, And it just seemed like something that would be super cool. And I have found over this last year that I throw myself into these types of things um, pretty often, going hunting with complete strangers. I just really crave that connection and meeting new people and seeing that like pure joy about the outdoors because sometimes when I get stuck in the social media bubble or I don't know, it's just, it's amazing to me. How many people out there are, are are sharing about stuff just just to make a little money um, or for the attention, not necessarily because they love it. And I just, I think that if you can, you know, profit from something you love, that's incredible. But to not actually enjoy it and protect it and take that next step to just pass it on to other people, I, I can't wrap my head around that it never has been about the attention or or making money at all I just love hunting and fishing and hiking and the outdoors and I love the people that love it and I want more of that in my life than I ever have wanted it before I want to go on adventures with these people I want to learn from these people I want to share their stories and I want to be a better outdoorsman on this trip, so many of these girls, I, I genuinely, after a couple days, feel like they're going to be lifelong friends. There was an instant bond and connection, and we skip the small talk and just, de- you know, deep dive immediately. And then we have a good, uh, good time in the woods, and it just creates this support system around you. And I'm just incredibly blessed and grateful to be able to, to, to do those things. And it just really makes me think about the kind of woman and outdoorsman I want to be. And I want to put myself in situations and challenge myself, uh, maybe making myself a little bit miserable and uncomfortable, but just becoming really skilled and capable and experiencing the outdoors in a way that not many people get to. And that that is absolutely my lifelong, like, dream how I want to live my life. But also, my hopes with this podcast was to also talk about the outdoors in a way that gets people out there, but gets them caring about it. Like, the bigger picture. Conservation. Water. Air. Planting trees, <laughs> understanding where your money goes when you buy a tag, talking about leaving it how you found it or making it better, passing it on so that the future generations protect it and care about it as well. I want, I want that so badly, and and sometimes I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting passionate in the stories and caring about it and going out hunting, but I want to take it a step further and I want to connect with people on a deeper level. I want to be a conservationist first and foremost and figure out ways to educate and teach people and Encourage them to get involved and protect this awesome resource we have so we can keep living the life that we love and pass that on to other people. I I just am so aware that I am not doing enough of that and I'm going to figure out how I, how I can. And after coming from this trip of amazing, adventurous strangers from all walks of life, these women... Uh, just their experiences in the outdoors from new to seasoned to every to everything in between. It was just so encouraging and and such a positive place to be. And I'm so incredibly excited to go back out grouse hunting and connect with these women again and go hunting with them again. It was just so incredible. And I think coming from that weekend and into this podcast episode is perfect. Our guest today, her name is Kate. She is a (laughs) a soil and water conservationist. Um, She is a hunter, avid outdoorsman all around, mother of two boys. She is a co-owner of a hunting preserve. I could go on and on about how involved she is and how she is making a difference in um, the state of Iowa and her community and the people she connects with uh, pretty regularly. And I am just so inspired by her and her heart and what what drives her. And she really is next level for me. and i I am just so incredibly passionate and jacked up right now about all these amazing women that I have just been connecting with who are avid outdoorsmen and and want to take care of and experience these awesome places and Kate was not part of this hunt but actually we wrap this call up talking about wanting to go grouse hunting which we both did this past weekend so it just came full circle But this is a really cool conversation, and I think inspiring and enlightening of, you know, what's really going on? Um, What is a watershed? How can you get better involved in your community and your state? We talk about public land and public access. We talk about balancing it all and raising a family in this environment, what it's like running a hunting preserve, and can you imagine all of this like in her day-to-day it's crazy but she makes it look easy and she's an incredible woman and I am so excited to introduce all of you to Kate like I said this is woods and waters project episode number 25 super cool and I have a cool story and I really don't I don't know how you do everything that you do (laughs) so I think that would be a good uh, a good thing to talk about but I you know I've only really met you in passing but uh Mm -hmm. know a lot of cool things about you and I just think especially as (laughs) like those badass women voices I think you'd be a good one
2: <laughs> well, I really appreciate you reaching out, and I'm happy to just continue uh, to have a voice for women's hunting. Um, I think that's really important, and also just about land ethic as well, because that's very much of what my focus is on um, through my career, so yeah, I'm just super passionate about it, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to kind of share the story today of Um, why it's important to me and um, how it's very a a lifestyle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's something uh, we just kind of skim over on this podcast so far as far as the land and conservation part goes because I think that with the guests we've had, I know that's a really important to all of them but we haven't really gotten into that so I think this is a great addition to what has been talked about and I think in the world we live in you know there's a lot of really crazy things going on and I hope that as far as conservation and and land efforts go that doesn't get overlooked because sometimes I feel like it does so I think this is a great a great topic for sure would you uh, like to introduce yourself
2: yeah yeah for sure so um, my name is Kate Janini I live in Riverside Iowa which is southeast Iowa Um, I grew up in Iowa City um, met a boy I guess (laughs) and we um, now live in just south of Riverside and we have two young boys um, very active outdoor boys um, I uh, love playing in the dirt and catching frogs and toads, that's kind of their their game. Um, I have worked in the natural resources field for over 15 years now. Um, I went to school at Kirkwood Community College, um, they have an amazing Parks and Natural Resources program. It is very hands-on learning, which was um really conducive to my learning style. I'm not a very good person that (laughs) sits well. Um, So I really enjoyed um, the on, just getting our hands dirty, using equipment, um, and uh, instead of just learning everything in the classroom, we were actually out there doing the work like prescribed burning and learning about Prairie. Um, And then from there, I went on to get my bachelor's degree at Upper Iowa University, Um, it's in Northeast Iowa, beautiful country, Um, and I studied conservation management there, I was able to finish within a year and a half. Um, I really was getting tired of being in school and I was ready to be out um, in the real world, so um, I was lucky to really land a job in the conservation field. Um, I really wanted to focus on working with private landowners. Um, you may know that Iowa has not very many um, public access areas in the state. It's actually probably one of the worst in the nation for having public access areas. So I really wanted to focus where I felt like I could do um, do good and see, see improvement. So for about 10 or 11 years, I worked within uh, the soil and water conservation district and really working with uh, farmers and landowners um, to address issues that they might have on their property and natural resource issues and see if we could come up with solutions of conservation on the property. And uh, that was an amazing experience. And through that career, um, I actually met my now boss, who was interested in putting a pond on his property. And he was uh, one of the co-founders for the Iowa Flood Center. And it really became a pipe dream of mine to um, to work at the Iowa Flood Center. And about three years ago, I had an opportunity to um, make that transition so I've been here for at the, the flood center for three years now and it's uh, it's been an amazing time I've met so many great people um, across the state and it's just a really really uh, great place to work um, I and personally I also serve as uh, a solo commissioner in Washington County um, as those are elected positions. So each county in Iowa has a soil and water conservation district, and there's five elected officials for each county. So, I'll be serving. Um, I'm actually up for re-election this fall, and I'll be my third term in their four-year terms. That's awesome. And then last, yeah, it's it's really it's really great experience. A great way to get to know people in your community, uh, meet people within the agriculture field and um, provide a lot of educational opportunities for youth in the area as well. So we do fundraising by selling um, erosion control matting, actually, for waterways, for landowners and people that are doing waterway work. Um, they can purchase that matting through us, but then all the, the funds that we use goes towards uh, scholarships for youth in our county. So that's just um, a really good Good program that gives back to the community. Um, And then lastly, my husband and I, uh, we run two small businesses in Washington County. So, our first business is um, uh, a habitat restoration business, I guess. So, we do prescribed burns and custom seeding, so, native seeding, native prairie. And then our other business is an upland hunting lodge. And um, we'll also be celebrating its 20th year of operation this fall, which is just amazing. Um, it's really actually kind of scary to think how fast that's gone by. Um, and, yeah, it's Ryan and I met um, about 18 years ago. So I've been around for most of the the operation time that we've been open. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy how t- time just
1: flies by so um, I was just saying that yesterday (laughs) just (laughs) I you know your parents tell you that like it's just gonna like go faster and faster and it's so true but that's incredible and I've been to Highland Hideaway multiple times uh, to shoot or for hunts and it's a it's a great place and I've been at multiple um like hunting areas in eastern Iowa and kind of around and Highland is high-class for sure like it's top-notch I think you guys do a great job
2: thank you thank you we think it's I think it's just really important not only to you know offer the service but to really take care of the land and and we take a lot of pride in the habitat that we create and we put a little, a lot of time and effort into it as well to make sure that when people are hunting that they're getting a great experience and um, um, we take a lot of pride too in the pheasants that we raise. So we raise all the pheasants on our property um, and uh, we used to raise them as um, we had a breed stock. We have a hatchery. Uh, this year, we kind of shifted gears and went into purchasing day old chicks. Um, and it's we raise about twenty thousand a year, so uh, pretty large uh, large number of pheasants uh, are raised on the farm. And then we use all of those on the, the hunting preserve.
1: What's the just my own curiosity because I think having a preserve sounds to me like I think that that has been something that I've always been curious of you know even having on my, of my own someday but I'm sure there's just an insane amount of work that goes into it what's what's the hardest part of that
2: uh, good question um, I think -hmm I think what's really kind of not really difficult, but is that there's so many opportunities for people to go to different outfitters, right? Like, sure, yeah. so what? Wh- how are you going to stand out? And we really take pride on not only in our habitat, but also serving our clients. So the customer service, the hospitality, and Um, trying to create events that people are going to be interested in and partnering with uh, many different organizations um, like Fusants Forever or other conservation organizations so we can get new groups in to experience hunting. Um, And I think hunting preserves are a really great opportunity for beginners to, um, really kind of take it slow and learn the skills and, um, uh, not get frustrated if they're not seeing, um, seeing animals or seeing what they're going to harvest. Um, you're definitely going to always see some type of, you're going to see upland birds when you're out at a hunting preserve. So I think it's a really good opportunity for that, that beginning hunter to, uh, learn how to hunt fields, um, how birds are going to react to different scenarios, um, and learn about different dog works and, uh, gear. Sure. It just, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very, um, diverse, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, every, you guys do a great job of like diverse events and and groups and people there because that's how I'm familiar with you is helping out with some of those events and it's just um it is a it is a great it is a great way to get someone back into it for them to learn it the first time or just just in in general to have a good time or to work your dogs um get them experience I totally agree I've definitely experienced that there uh it's it's super cool. And especially, you know, I guess for me growing up, I grew up hunting and my dad talked about upland hunting, but I didn't really get into that till later because there wasn't, there wasn't really birds around, uh, you know, in the wild so much, not, not enough to probably spend (laughs) a whole day hunting for him. Um, and are you seeing with your involvement with like conservation as well? Uh, do you feel like the preserves help the natural like the wild birds as well?
2: Um, I think as far as having the habitat, yeah. Um, for sure. It and we've seen a couple of quails, um, a couple of quails, um, reestablish themselves on the property mm-hmm. that we leave and so that's been really cool. Um just um from the birds that we release, you'll see a, a short, a pretty small percentage actually have um, broods, um, and but I would say it's the you know the predators know they're smart. Um, they know that in this area there is an abundance of um, of pheasants, so they um, definitely know how to prey on them uh, pretty easily. But yeah. we feel. <laughs> I think it's really awesome when we do get to see some of those um, birds have broods and I think by having the habitat out there, we're providing that space for them. For sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I actually didn't grow up hunting. So that's very cool that that you, that you did grow up hunting. I feel like I have like a pretty average um, hunting Initiation, I guess. um,
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Tell tell me about it. Yeah, we're like I have so many things I want to like follow up on, but let's just jump into that for sure. Tell me about your like growing up hunting or not growing up hunting. How you got into it?
2: Yeah, I I didn't grow up hunting. I grew up in Iowa City, but um, I really loved the the outdoors. I was a big tomboy, and uh, growing up, most of my friends were male, and I definitely preferred hiking and fishing and just being in nature instead of doing other things. And actually, um, my first hunting at exposure was from a mutual friend of ours, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, it was in high school and I joined him on a coon hunt. And to be honest, I really don't remember a whole lot about that coon hunt. I remember dogs barking and um, red lights, <laughs> and <laughs> it was dark, and I think I spent the majority of the time sleeping in the truck, um, but um, it was just awesome to have that experience. It was something that he was passionate about. I wanted to go out and learn about it um, just through my love of outdoors and being around um, dogs and. Um, I think that was a pretty cool uh, exposure for me into the hunting world Um, and then when I met my husband um, he lived and breathed hunting like um, if I wanted to spend any time with him I was I was going to tag along with him and really it was kind of a natural fit just because I liked being outdoors anyways and I was going to school for conservation so we had similar interests and, um, and actually as his as he got busier with business probably in 2005 um, I started doing a lot more hunting um, actually more hunting than him so I, I always joke that I was providing the meat for our, our family with him <laughs> but <laughs> I, I definitely um, you know I started with hunting and then turkey hunting and um, and then really got into archery for uh, whitetail deer I've, I've spent a lot of time in the tree stand in uh, many hours and um, and it's just it's just nice it's it's peaceful to be out there and to watch the wildlife and see everything that you worked hard on as far as getting things ready um um, the hunting gear scouting and just see everything come to life when you're actually out in the in the tree stand so
1: yeah definitely i uh yeah (laughs) i was gonna get all (laughs) geeky because you know next weekend is opening opening deer season uh but what do do you think that through hunting if you had a favorite do you think upland is probably your favorite or is i think
2: for right now yeah definitely upland hunting is um my favorite and i I mean if you asked me a few years ago it was definitely archery hunting for for deer but um as we have had kids and things got busier with the the hunting lodge you know just uh, our time schedules have shifted a little bit and um so upland hunting is definitely my favorite, and I think it's really just being out there, um, watching the dogs work. So we have two short hairs, um, and and it's something that we can bring our our kids along with. So they're seven and four, and they like to move. <laughs> and deer hunting is not you got to be quiet, and you can't you have to sit still, and that's hard for them right now. Um, so going upland hunting with them, it's a lot easier. And, um, yeah, that's why I like it. We can do it as a family.
1: Yeah. And you have obviously an ideal place to, <laughs> to do that. And. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
2: They are so lucky. <laughs> they have no idea. Yeah. They're
1: I've just... seen them running well... around and helping and everything too. They're at the lodge before, uh, I've seen them around.
2: <laughs> that... Yeah. We put them at work this summer, um, They were helping at the farm quite a bit, and they had their own pheasants that they had to take care of, and chicks that they had to take care of, so they've learned some good skills, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, what a way to grow up, too. Like, I just think that's super neat. Um, Mm -hmm. Just whether they were hunters or not, you know, just to be exposed to Mm -hmm. nature in that way on a regular basis, I think is really special, for sure. Yeah, yeah. As when you know going into natural resources what was there did you kind of always know <clears throat> that's something you wanted to do or how did uh you end up going you know that route
2: um it i really wasn't sure you know with what I wanted to do i i took an environmental science class in high school and I think that really was what piqued my interest like oh man I could have a career where i was outdoors like that's pretty exciting and um it, and that really kind of pushed me to explore that natural resources field and um going to college for that. So, yeah, I I don't think it's something that I knew that I always wanted to do. It it took a little um some push, but I'm really happy that I made that that leap.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you um from, like following you on social media and just the work that you talk about and you do you can tell you really care about it and you're really passionate about it as well so that has to it you know I, I think you're a lot of people are still even into adulthood are still looking for this stuff that makes yeah. them happy and they get excited about so i think that's i think that's super cool and to have it be such like directly related to kind of your everyday life, like so much of your life really integrates into each other, which I think is super neat. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I try not to uh, scare my friends off too much on social media, uh, especially about work-related stuff, because um, I, can, I can definitely be very passionate and maybe not have much of a filter when it comes to... Um, policies that I would like to see or changes that I would like to see our state make um but I I feel it's really important work so
1: yeah I think so and man when when you were talking about like the public access areas and and that being um an area of focus for you too I though I'm not I love that it is uh but public land hunting is like a really big thing right now like it's popular to talk about um which I think overall is a great thing and it's just it's always interesting because I grew up hunting and I didn't I feel like I got into social media kind of later than most people my age I think um Mm -hmm. and so when I started getting into it and growing up hunting and seeing that like publicly and hunting was kind of, is like its own hashtag and its own following and its own area of interest to people. I just thought that was so interesting because to me, I didn't grow up, my dad, you know, had permission for us to hunt some private land, but overall we only hunted public. Like we didn't own land and that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's both awesome and, and weird <laughs> to me that it's like, I don't know, talked about so much, but I think it's a great thing. And depending on who you ask, because I hear both, that there is a lot of public land in Iowa or there isn't. I feel like I hear one or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. I know by percentage it's it's not a lot, By but what's actually available, you know, per per capita, per person is probably quite a bit and yeah. it's underutilized. I guess what's your feelings on that? Is that um, – regular like conversation I know you're talking about access but as far as like public hunting do you feel like that's been a pretty positive thing
2: yeah I think it's super positive Um, actually right down the road from us is one of those um, walk-in areas Um, I think that it's uh, a really unique program that um, it's not utilized as much as it should and I think also, it's just maybe landowners aren't aware of it as well. Um, so it's privately owned um, and managed either by a local agency, um, whether it's Pettiners Forever or the district or the Iowa DNR, um, and then it's open for the public. And I think those areas are um, much needed, and it, it is busy. Like, it's just a small little um, acreage, probably, 40 acres or so and it is busy with people so I think there is much more need um, than that we have available as far as land Mm -hmm. Um, especially I would say especially in the last few years I, I feel like the interest in hunting has gone up and especially among women in that demographic and I think also with the local foods movement of knowing more about where your food comes from and yeah. harvesting your own food. Um, I think there's just more of a need to have these areas um, for public access uh, not even just for hunting but just for protecting that are unique um, with their that have special natural resource features um, that should be protected and maybe not
1: farmed yeah Um, sure yeah yeah I think uh I'm pretty involved now with some groups that introduce new hunters into hunting and
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I I love it a lot but it has brought a lot to my attention and mostly in mostly a positive way um but echoing what you're saying I really think you know there is there's a lot of growth happening as far as the amount of people that are getting into hunting now. And, and the outdoors, I think, in general. Um, just for, foraging, even if even not hunting, you know, uh, foraging for your food. Um, I, I just see a lot of interest in that. And with everything going on right now, with the groups I've been involved, there's a lot of DNR officers involved. So they do talk often about the amount of numbers of like certain tags for uh, your licenses for hunting or fishing or the amount of campers has gone up significantly Mm -hmm. because of COVID. Um, People are at home and, uh, you know, being outside is really the option of something to do. You're, You're not able to go into as many enclosed inside public places. So I think it's forcing people out, which I think is great. I think that's great. I think we're going to have, I'm sure there's probably some negative impact there with the amount of people um, and new people, maybe not necessarily educated in certain things, but I think overall it sounds like a really positive thing. And I'm really curious how this next few years looks as far as hunting, camping, fishing, if places are going to be crowded or not. Um, I'm just genuinely curious on on what that looks like. Cause on one hand, I want, I think, I think everyone's an outdoorsman. I think everyone should be <laughs> on some level. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have to be super hardcore, but I just think it's really important for our health to be, you know, in, in nature more often um, mm-hmm. and making healthier eating decisions and, and all that. But it also is kind of for those who are part of that special group, and I'm putting like finger quotes in my, in the air. Um, then it makes it feel less special right so for those who like love hunting and fishing and hiking and camping those special places become crowded and they're not maybe as special anymore so I think it's such a double-edged sword but yeah I just kind of went on a ramble there
2: (laughs) no no you you definitely hit on some important pieces and what does that mean to to like our environmental resources yeah we're going to have a lot more capacity of people enjoying these areas, um, yeah, and funding to these areas. If they're going to be used more than more boots-on-the-ground staff and people that are helping to maintain the
1: systems. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I uh, – it's a – it's a le- – a lifetime of work you know like all of that it's gonna take and any one person involves lifetime to to
2: yeah.
1: it's a never never anything um, but I do think it's a beautiful thing and I think it's it's worth people's time to uh, learn more about what natural resources are available to them and, and mentoring others to get them out there and educating them I, I think it's really important what you do um, because at the end of the day, uh, we—it's a—it's hard, right? It's kind of a battle that feels like it can't be won. As far as like protecting our natural resources or hunting or any of that, um, you know, there, there's always people who are against you. <laughs> and so, if we yeah. can educate people and share our love and opinion and passion for this stuff, uh, you know, I think it makes a difference. I, I really do. Yeah. So I think it's incredible in all the ways that you're doing it, as a business owner <laughs> as a conservationist as a mom like that is so neat how you're you know it's definitely um is a big part of your life and it's incredible and being a commissioner I mean that's that's incredible yeah,
2: yeah. I think uh, just, there's so many opportunities for hunters to get involved and um I don't think we have enough hunters involved and uh, with our policy making and um with our organizations and i i really want to challenge kind of our listeners is to to be more involved um at the state level but also just at the local level like how many people know what a watershed is or that they live in a watershed and like or what is a watershed um and in my line of work, I work with the uh, Watershed Management authorities. I work on a project called the Iowa Watershed Approach, um, where you're um, working together in this community of a watershed um, to really uh, look at the issues and the priority areas and put resources there. Um, and I think it's a really great model for the state, but also nationwide. And that's one thing I always challenge people to, is like, do you know what a watershed is? And do you know what your watershed you live in is? And that's gonna, it might be different from where you live to where you work. And so just an explanation there is that a watershed is an area of land that drains to a certain focal point. So like a creek or a lake or a river. So yeah. um, we're here in Iowa. We're in the Mississippi River um, Basin on the eastern side of the state. That is, and actually the Mississippi River watershed is about um, probably forty percent of the United States. It's a really, really, really large um, yeah. watershed. Wow! And then and then you can track from there. So. Um, from the Mississippi River, I live in the Iowa River, and from the Iowa River, I live in the Davis Creek Watershed. And I think it, it's just super important to, for people to know, like, the choices and decisions that they make on their land or uh, the area that they work or go the school has an effect on that, um, within that watershed. So I think it's important for people to be aware of that and um, have some type of education on it.
1: Yeah, that's great. I'll share um, some resources on uh, this episode too to send people to get some more information on that. Cause I, it has to be pretty easy for all of us to go through our lives and not really think about the impact we have on something else like bigger picture. So I think that's yeah, su- super important information.
2: Yeah. Or how many times you're just walking out in a field or crossing that Creek and like, well, what is that Creek? It probably has a name and how did it get its name, and why is it named that way? I think those are questions that we can can ask, and the history of that area is, I think, super important as well. Yeah. Um, Through this project that I work on at the Iowa Flood Center, um, it's called the Iowa Watershed Approach, and it's actually a grant that was funded to the state of Iowa in 2016. And it was a $97 million grant. So it was like the fourth largest award that the funding source put out to states and they gave 14 awards. So it was pretty cool that Iowa had a really unique application. Um, a lot of, it was, the funding source comes through HUD, Housing and Urban Development. And they're really used to funding like hard infrastructure, like. We're going to put in levees, we're going to put in, uh, raise these roads, or, um, and it all had to, all have to benefit low to moderate income. And Iowa got together and said, what about making investments up in these watersheds to slow that water down on privately owned land with farmers and landowners um, up above these communities to slow that water down so it reduces the flooding and improves water quality and HUD was, I think, kind of taken back by the approach, but they were super intrigued about it, and we ended up getting that that funding, and it's um, such a cool program. As far as connecting with uh, people throughout the state, we're working with eight different watershed management authorities, which are um, a watershed management authority were established in 2010, so um, it just means that soil and water conservation districts, um, counties, and cities can sign an agreement to work together, and basically just to uh, develop goals and strategies on how they're going to combat um, natural resource issues within a certain watershed. So we're working with eight uh, different watersheds across the state, and. Um, my favorite piece is just connecting with the people and helping tell the story, and um, you just meet so am- such amazing um, farmers and decision makers, and uh, and the compromises that people have to make um, when they're at the table when it comes to policy or developing goals for them. Um, it's just it's really cool to see the collaboration between everybody.
0: Yeah, and
2: I think watershed management authorities are a really great way for uh, for people to get involved too so there anybody can attend their meetings they they generally have them quarterly I think 40 percent of the state now is covered in a w, WMA so there's definitely a lot of opportunity out there for people to be involved
1: yeah that was gonna be my question like how can like the everyday person who um, maybe j- doesn't know much but wants to help like how can they get involved so you're saying like yeah. it's any meetings doing their research
2: yeah um, the Iowa DNR actually manages kind of the is the overhead of the watershed management authorities and they have um, a webpage just dedicated to WMAs um, and so that's a good way to find out which which one is near you or um if there's one that you can get involved with
1: yeah yeah that's awesome is there anything that through the work like that you do and you know not to make this like a a negative <laughs> at all but is there anything that worries you like the most like is there anything that um do you feel like maybe as a state or just area or united states do you feel like we're we're in trouble in some areas when it comes to, to, to any of this? Um, yeah, for sure. Um,
2: so, Iowa, Iowa is the most altered state in the nation. And I mean that as our landscape. Our landscape has been altered from, you know, being this prairie state where in um, a lot of wetlands, pothole areas to a very productive agriculture system and we have installed a lot of tile to drain the wetlands. We've just really altered how our um, landscape functions um, hydraulically and also um, our ecosystems. And, And I think there's a lot of people Working on how can we restore back to our natural functions? Um, you know, Iowa DNR and through the Flood Center and um, Idols, Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, and the Nature Conservancy. There's just so many organizations that are working on um, trying to protect our resources. And it, it doesn't help because we also have. Uh, changing climate and uh, has resulted in increased flooding um, and which means also a lot of costs that comes out of taxpayer costs um, I, I, and there's been some research out of our organization at the University of Iowa in the last 30 years or so we've seen a thousand one thousand flood res- Related presidential disaster declaration, so very um, damaging floods, and that comes at a cost of 18 to 20 billion dollars, and that you know who's paying for that, and it really through research you're be able, you can really it's more effective if we make our investments beforehand, if we invest in putting conservation on the ground um, uh, by putting in. Uh, ponds and terraces and wetlands before those flood events that happen, um, and we're not paying for those very expensive recovery costs. Um, one of our researchers that has have done, have done that work at IH, IIHR, Hydroscience and Engineering at the university, he, he was quoted recently in a paper, it said the cost of doing nothing, it's not zero, and I think... It's, that's just an amazing quote and I think it can not only it not can not only be taken in the context of flooding but also in many different aspects of our life right like yeah. and I think that's why I I am, am so involved um, I have a hard time sitting still and not um, being involved with things that I'm passionate about. Um, and flooding—it's just a—it's a, a really big topic for our state, and also um, water quality, which is a yeah. super controversial topic in Iowa. And I just think we're really facing an enormous challenge in Iowa when it comes to water quality. And um, and I'm I'm hopeful, you know, that we can we can work together and collaborate together and meet the goals that um, our nutrient reduction strategy has put out for us in 2013 but um, without like a dedicated sustainable funding uh, source to meet those goals I don't think we're going to get there and I really think like the soil and water conservation districts are a really great example of how an agency came together, they dedicated funding, and they made a change. So the 1930s, we had this dust bowl that was terrible and infected our farming and families and all across the United States. And um, that's when the soil and water conservation um, service was... Um, born because of the Dust Bowl Um, and the amount of improvement that they have made in the past 60 75 years um, has been huge they've made such a great improvement to how we have farmed on our land how we have protected soil on our land um, and combated erosion uh, compared to how we use the farm. yeah, And I think we can, I really think we can do that with water quality, but we just, we have to have that political will and that sustainable uh, funding source to be able to do that. So, um, In 2010, there was, uh, the people voted for the Iowa's water and land legacy which was a Natural Resource and Outdoor Recreation Trust Fund. And it passed, which is awesome. So 63% of Iowans voted to create this Outdoor Trust Fund, uh, which was a permanent funding source that would go to uh, natural resources and clean water and all that. But um, in order for it to actually go in effect, there has to be a sales tax increase, and and no one will likes our taxes to be increased. So it would be increase of three-eighths of a cent. And um, ever since that legislation was passed, we haven't had that sales tax increase. And organizations like Pheasants Forever and the Heritage Foundation and the Nature Conservancy have been really fighting every year with, at the Capitol to uh, pass this trust fund. It came really close last year to being passed. Um, but it was, they wanted to make changes to the formula and I just kind of backed that. Some, some of our conservation organizations in the state could. I just didn't feel comfortable. I think we should, we should have preserved the formula that the people voted on. Um, and also it was last year they were using funds that were going to a different funding source pay for this and really this fund was, it's new it's new money. It's not to take from one account to, to go to this account. So I hope in the future that this trust fund um, is passed because it would create new funding. I think they say 180 million to 200 million a year wow. of new funding for uh, natural resources in the state. And I think if we had that funding just, it brings me back to that story of the Soil Conservation Service and how much change and improvement they have made in the last 75 years. And we could do that in Iowa if, if this funding source was approved as well. We could change how our landscape looked and improve it and be more resilient in the next 50 years, if we had that funding. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for that. And I I definitely put my time in, and as far as contacting legislators and um, being at the Capitol and advocating for that trust fund as well.
1: Yeah. And that's, I'm sorry, I rambled on. No, like no, I'm the whole time I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking about like, well, I'm thinking about a few things but just like how I can make a bigger difference you know in that because this is my home like I'm born and raised here and I love the outdoors and it just feels like you know I feel like in a lot of ways I do things to make a difference but it's like I want it to, I want to ha- make it happen bigger and faster you know I want to in my lifetime see right. see those changes happen um and, and do some good for my home. And I, uh, I'm just trying to take in everything you're saying because I think it just needs to be said. And um, I think it's going to take an army, you know, to really make things happen quickly. So,
2: And for me, you know, it's not about, yeah, it, I mean, it's not really about me. It's for that next generation. Like, I want them to be able to, my kids and their friends and their kids um to be able to enjoy the same things that we have and i worry about it that they won't and um for me it's really leaving trying to leave that legacy that they have the opportunity or the same opportunities i have or better um to be involved and um explore natural resources and make sure that they're protected
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely um, that's exactly how I would have said it too is leaving a legacy it's I mean whether you're talking about the resources or hunting or you know in, in any of it I think anybody who I think anyone who's a a parent or wants to be a parent or even if they're not not even Mm -hmm. not even that they want that next generation or whoever they're passing something on to to have it better than they did or at least as good as they had it Um, because I can't I I really and maybe I have too much identity with it I don't know maybe it's an identity crisis but I can't I can't picture me without the outdoors and hunting you know like that's what I get really, really yeah. excited and happy about, and I can't, I can't imagine other people not experiencing that too. Um, and I, you know, when you have a love for something like that, you want to protect it as much as you can. So I think it's it's awesome. And I'm just wheeling over here about ways I can better get involved or spread the word, you know. So I'm really grateful yeah. for folks like you that are all in like this. It's it's incredible. Yeah,
2: it, it's fun. <laughs> I, I, I just really, I really enjoy working with the people that I do and partnering, the just the collaborations and, um, and it's not just in my work and it's just also like our clientele at the Hunting Lodge like, they're they're like family to us you know you know especially the people that have been coming year after year and just really build those relationships and. Uh, hunting like hunting is emotional and it's uh it's a way to really connect with others and they're like-minded and you build so many different skills um it's just yeah it's a lifestyle for sure it's it's just amazing yeah it's hard to it's hard to explain to non-hunters or uh, non-hunters that have questions about it too, and without asking them to experience it with you.
1: Yeah, and it might take more than one experience too, because depending on I <laughs> think. I've learned recently you know if you want and I think it's kind of the same thing with kiddos if when you take them fishing for the first time oftentimes you want to make sure you fish that spot before because you want them to catch fish because they could really not like it if they go fishing the first time and they don't catch anything you know Uh, it's kind of like that with new hunters whether they're adults or not I think sometimes you don't want them to experience the suck too early
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: want them just to experience the beauty of it first because um, then yeah. that inspires them and motivates them to work through the sucky parts um the bad weather or the you know not seeing an animal or um lots of walking <laughs> or whatever yeah. Yeah. um it's it's a it's a hard thing because if uh, I, There's I don't so know.
2: many failures that you <laughs> no, experience with not. hunting.
1: There's so, and like
2: I think that's what hunters. I, I think we have a little bit of a PR problem too. Like, sure. um, and I try to be mindful and like what I post on social media when it comes to hunting. I try to like talk about the habitat and, and show the food and. Um, especially for non-hunters I think it's good that they're just not seeing pictures of hunters with their harvest. Um, I think they need to know the, the work that goes into it too but like there's so much failure <laughs> yeah,
1: um,
2: or just time that you put in and I, I my first turkey took three years to get. <laughs> it was a lot of time that I put into it and I remember this one hunt where, um, hunting north of us and two beautiful toms came in bouncing off of each other and we had already hunted like seven hours that morning and so we're set up and they're coming in and I, I, I missed, I shot and I missed and I just started falling my eyes out. <laughs> I think it was more of emotional like just tired, you know, like yeah. <laughs> but there's there, there are a lot of you know failures and you learn from it and you're is that much better afterwards and
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think yes and I remember I remember now you commenting on my turkey hunting post. Uh, this year mm-hmm. and you sharing that. And I, I, I honestly, sometimes I was, I actually just said this to Jacob yesterday, um, about something, you know, sometimes I hate social media, but where I love it. And, and it's not because it makes me feel better. I think it's just good for, uh, you know, a lot of folks that do follow me or listen to my podcast might have been long, like have might have been hunters, um, a long time, but I have quite a few people who are just getting into it or they're curious about it. And yeah. I love when I post about something that I'm not very good at or um, a bad experience I had and then others commenting and sharing their own experiences because that way they're just not taking my word for it. Like I love when people comment on my stuff like like you did about, there's quite a few people I think that commented on turkey failures and I'm like, yes, that's great. Not, I want everyone to succeed, but I, wanna, I want people to know that it's not just me being a not good hunter, <laughs> it's just life, you right. know, it's just that's that's yeah. how it goes and it's not all easy, it's not all just a trophy pick um, and then there's nothing else involved, you know, I think I love getting that conversation going from all walks of life who love the outdoors, who share their failures and successes, like that motivates me to keep just calling myself out because others will usually join in with you and be like yeah I hear (laughs) you like I went through that too and I think that's just really um, valuable for folks if they're thinking they want to get into it to know how not easy it is Um, sometimes I, I just I really appreciate when people engage with me back about that stuff because I, it's more for the others watching you know who are reading who are silently like taking it in I think that's uh, important to share the not so great <laughs> that happens.
2: So what's so what's kind of your favorite hunting right now?
1: Oh I don't know. Has always been the same? No definitely not always the same um ooh, I thought I really knew this um it's evolving for me for sure i if, if i have a dog that i'm working typically um mm-hmm. and i'm and, and i'm pretty connected to that dog that that kind of takes the cake for me usually whatever that is yeah. um i just really really love working with dogs uh if i'm bonded with them you know um but i have a covid kind of got in the way with this and some and some family stuff but Getting the Turkey Grand Slam is a big goal for me and I'd really like to get that this next year. So turkey hunting gets me really jacked up. Um, You know, I do a lot of teaching archery and bow hunting and so I'd really like to get a nice deer with my bow. But I don't know if it means it's my favorite. I just get really like focused and obsessed with it. But I think it's honestly whatever, Whatever's coming up next is my
0: favorite.
1: <laughs> I don't know, because awesome. <laughs> I, I love I love shooting with a bow. I love bow hunting. Um, but I am not I'm not one of those folks that I do think it's more challenging with a bow. I think there's a different level of um, pride and like and just this overall amazing feeling that comes from shooting something with a bow. But I also love like using a rifle and a shotgun and I I just enjoy all of it. I like the variety and I like different types of hunting. I never thought I would be into trapping, um, but I am probably Mm -hmm. the most excited about trapping this year um, because I'm starting to learn about it and I I have some some areas I know I want to check out and I just never thought that would be my thing, but I am really excited about it. Um, I think I just really like learning and I love realizing how much I don't know and then getting better at it. I'm pretty obsessive yep. about that. Uh, so yeah, that's my <laughs> short answer. <laughs>
2: no, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I, your last podcast well, was a couple podcasts ago and that woman, the fly fishing guide, I was like, I never knew I had a desire to learn how to fly fish and now because of that podcast i'm just like oh my gosh that just sounds amazing i really want to try that out and um i think the beauty of it and just you know that interconnectedness of the river and yeah i just yeah i really want to take some classes on how to do that
1: yeah yeah i it's hard it's hard i um i talk about this a lot because i i i uh, on the podcast it always comes up with either the person I'm talking to or myself uh, it's it's hard because I, I want to be good at all of it but there's only so much of me to go around you know to, <laughs> to, yeah. to learn and really really get good at it and I I still don't know what my favorite is I, I do realize recently um, my very last podcast we talked about primal instincts and being primal because something I realized and and I and I feel like I see this with you in like a different, in a different way, actually, when it comes to conservation to full circle is I really love going full circle with anything um, in the whole process. Like even fishing, I want to know, I want to know the water, what's in the water, what bait to use, how to catch the bait, cutting mm-hmm. up the bait, running the boat, um, cleaning the fish, cooking the fish. Like I want to be good at each step. I'm, uh maybe it's a control problem i don't know but it's it's like i want to know and i when i realize i have gaps there's areas i don't know how to do something that's what i get really excited about learning next and then when i can go full circle then i'm like okay cool now i can get really good at something else um i i I just like to be capable if that makes sense i i really want to be i don't want to just teach someone how to cast a rod, I want to teach them how to, to cook it for themselves too, you know, or teach myself. Yeah. Um, and I see that with you, like everything with what you're doing does come full circle, and I think that's really incredible. Um, and I feel like you have to constant in all areas of your life, I feel like you have to constantly be learning stuff <laughs> like on a daily basis, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I. No, um, yeah. oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, you're fine.
1: Um, but is there anything like? Time's already gone by so fast. Uh, is there anything that's mm. <laughs> like on your heart that you really wanted to share or talk about?
2: Um. I. I hope that we get to hunt together this fall. Yeah, <laughs>
1: absolutely.
2: I. I think it would be really cool to do that, so, and instead of just following each other on social media, I hope (laughs) that we get the opportunity, and we should, we should plan that out. Yeah, I absolutely Um, agree.
1: I would love that. As far as any parting words, I think
2: for (laughs) me, you know, as a hunter and a business owner and somebody that works in the natural resource field, like, I just feel that managing our land—that um, we really have like a moral responsibility to take care of our our world, our natural world—and I think that really spills out into all aspects of my life. And um, I I just encourage other others um, to get involved as well. And I, I encourage anybody to reach out to me if they have questions and,
1: um,
2: yeah, I think that's it. I just really hope that you and I get a hunt. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think we will. We're pretty close together. I mean, I know time, I think time will probably be the the thing, but we're pretty close together and I definitely would love that. Um, absolutely. We'll do that for sure. What's your, what's your uh, next adventure? Do you think?
2: Um, I don't, I don't know. I think we have some friends up north in Wisconsin, and I always love to go visit them, and I really would like to go shoot some, some grouse. Um, I've yeah. never shot one before, um, so I'm hoping that we can go up there. Ryan's always planning, like, hunting trips, and I just, I'm getting to the point, point. it's like, well, I just need to start planning my own trips. <laughs> so... <laughs> He's going out to, like, Oklahoma or Kansas sometime in early 2021, and he'll do some bird hunting out there. He did some bird hunting in um, Kansas last year, and um, he really enjoys that. And we have a really great group of guides at the hunting lodge, and Ryan's become really good friends with them, and so they like to go on adventures together. Um, I, I would love to get back up. To Alaska so Ryan used to guide hunts up there for quite a few years he'd go up for a month month and a half and guide moose and um, brown bear and caribou hunts. and um, ten years ago I was able to go out and um, meet him and we got to do some hunting as well and I, I would love to go back out there but I think we're gonna wait until the kids are a little older so they can come along as well yeah um, And then we have some friends are in Wyoming right now, and just seeing their pictures are making me super jealous. So I would love (laughs) to go out west too. I I have a lot of desires. I just haven't um, acted on any of them yet.
1: But I think for sure that we'll probably make it up north and do some grouse hunting up there this fall. That's actually my next. uh, Besides, like the local like goose hunting and everything. Um, that's my next. I've never done that either. Uh, I'm going grouse hunting October 9th in Minnesota. Um, I've never done that and I've always wanted to. And uh, I don't have dogs that I'm working with right now. So I, I've been a little going through this little bit of a depression, I think, because this will be the first time really in probably four years I haven't had a bird dog that I'll be working with. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know what? I need to still go on some hunts and, and go because I, I love upland hunting like my first reaction when you said what's my favorite upland was probably going to be it but it, it is when I have my own dogs to work with for sure um, yeah definitely uh, but I've never been grouse hunting and I I, I uh, booked myself a little trip <laughs> I'm going to meet up with a bunch of uh, people I don't even know uh, to, in Minnesota so that is my next adventure, uh, not next weekend, but the weekend after. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. And very. yeah. Um, that will be
2: exciting. And it just, yeah, to hunt with people that you don't know is always a little nerve wracking too. But like, yeah, that's kind of the adventure of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, usually when you're in a, it's kind of in a controlled environment, obviously. But uh, I tend to throw myself into that stuff a lot especially if i don't you know over time now i'm realizing like even like yourself i'm like oh my gosh i need to tell kate the next time i look for a hunt like that to see if she wants to come with me because i I, you know years ago i didn't have a lot of people besides my dad and maybe my brother that would go on a hunting trip with me um Mm -hmm. maybe one friend who was just into hunting and just over the last few years i have a lot of really good people in my life I would love to go hunting with who would come with me. <laughs> yeah. That is that is like a new thing for me um, and I love it. And I need to um, take advantage of that more because I think we're all sometimes looking just for like a partner to go to, you know, to to get us to commit to that next trip.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Well, thank you so that much. That would be awesome. Yeah, we should no, we'll definitely no, hunt no. together this year for sure. Um, okay. I would love that, and I really appreciate your time today. I feel like I have so many questions and just like thoughts about how to make a difference and and be involved and you know help leave that legacy. I think that's such important work, and I really really appreciate you talking about it today.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> and what's the best way for people to to follow you or or to to reach out to you?
2: Um. Yeah. So on social media, uh, my for Instagram, uh, my tag is IA Huntress, and I'm mm-hmm. on Twitter as well. And you can find me on Facebook. And otherwise, um, if you're interested more about some of my work aspects, um, going to the Iowa Flood Center website, IowaFloodCenter.org, people can definitely find me through that. Yeah.
1: And check out Highland Hideaway if you're, you know, coming to Iowa (laughs) for sure. It's an awesome preserve. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you so much, Kate. Really appreciate it. We'll talk soon. (laughs) Bye bye. Okay. Bye. What I tell you, super cool chick, incredible woman. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed talking to Kate and getting to know her. I will be hunting with her soon, I hope. And I really look forward to getting more episodes out to you guys. Thank you to everyone that listened and who has been listening this last year. I'm so incredibly thankful and humbled by your feedback and and just wrapping your arms around me and this podcast and what I'm trying to do I'm so incredibly thankful um reviews thoughts questions please keep them coming I I want to keep this podcast going and I am I am so excited for this next year thank you everyone happy hunting and until next time